Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Open Door Policy, where we sit down with various disciples who are living out the call to unleash the gospel in new and exciting ways all across the Archdiocese of Detroit. And today we are blessed to be joined with Vicki Figueroa, a parishioner at Corpus Christi Parish and the head of Black Catholic Ministries in Detroit. Vicki, it's great to be with you. Yes, it's great to be with you as as well. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And as always, the one, the only, the awesome Danielle Center. Danielle, how are you? Hey, friend. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm I'm ready for the quarantine to be over. You know, like Dude, maybe that's the most obvious statement to another. ever. But I'm doing okay. But I'm ready to be de quarantined. <laughs> you know, I was talking to someone and they were like, "How are you doing?" And I was like, "You know what? Like." Every plane of my life is like minorly inconvenienced, but also we're in a global pandemic. So like you can't really complain. So yeah. heard that. But do you have any graces? I thought we were exchanging uh, like complaints, complaints rather than graces uh, today. But yeah, uh, I'm here for that. Know, <laughs> um, yeah. Just talking about graces. Uh, I had a, a wonderful opportunity um, very recently to do some social distancing, visiting with family. Uh, I got to go visit my dad and maybe not so great social distancing, but he wanted a haircut and I got to uh, go try out my <laughs> my Dude, barbering skills with do him. Do you want to give and... me a haircut? Because I... <laughs> well, I am also maybe you should talk to my father. dad. Maybe you should maybe talk should... to my dad first and hear how it I'll went. Read, but like, that was a lot of fun. The sole Google review, he leaves it anonymously. <laughs> you're like, Dad, you're the only guy whose hair I've ever cut. He's like, I'd give it two stars. <laughs> hey, you know, not looking to make a living, just trying to, uh, to do, do my it's, duty. It's honest I, work. How about you, Danielle? Um, well, uh, you know, like the thing that we are allowed to do during quarantine is go hiking. So luckily it's a hobby of mine, one could say. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I went and last weekend was nice weather. So I went out and hiked. There were, uh, do you know Father David Fons over in Lansing Diocese? Yeah. You're the one who introduced me to him and Mm -hmm. uh, he walked the Camino this past summer. So we met up, did some hiking, and Jesse met me too, so it was good, you know. Awesome. It's a great outdoors. Got a little sunburned. That's great. Well, let's dive into what we call uh, Rapido in Fuego Preguntas, or in English, Rapid Fire Questions. And, yeah. Uh, Vicki, are you ready for some uh, Rapid Fire Questions? I'm ready. Let's Here's go. Here's the right, first Danielle. one. What was your first job? Working at an amusement park in Youngstown, Ohio, behind the pizza and Italian sausage stand. (laughs) So a little technical difficulty with Danielle. I'm going to jump in here. Uh, Vicki, what's the most beautiful church you've ever visited? Immaculate Conception in Youngstown, Ohio. All right. I'm sensing a trend here. Uh, what, what (laughs) What song has been stuck in your head these days? Lizzo's Why... Like, why are men great till they got to be great? <laughs> yes. I just took a DNA test. Turns out. Good, good, good. <laughs> All right, Danielle, take it away with number four. I got you. What, um, Vicki, which fictional world, in which fictional world would you like to live? I'd like to live in fantasy, um, you know, like Temple of My Familiar or Children of Blood and Bone, that type of thing. Love it. And what is your favorite breakfast food? Quiche. Nice. 
And I think I should take number six, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, go for it. What was the location of one of your most powerful encounters with God? Sedona, Arizona. Get it. Do you have a favorite Bible verse, Becky? Uh, Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 118 or Psalm 119. I get the, the numbers mixed up, but this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. All right. Have you met anyone famous other than Danielle? Uh, wow. <laughs> other, than, <laughs> other than Danielle, yes. Uh, the last coach of the Lions, not Matt Patricia, but Caldwell. Okay. I have a picture with him. All right. Hey. Yep. Um, who's your hero? Harriet Tubman is my hero. Yeah. What's uh, what's yeah. your favorite book you've read? Uh, the Color Purple. Hey. And what is your favorite item of clothing ever that you've ever had? It is a dress I recently bought at a vintage shop in Royal Oak from 1970. I Magnon because I love I love vintage shopping. All right. And um, I I wore it to be introduced as the. Um, Black Catholic office manager back in November. All right. It's my favorite. Awesome. Dude, yes. get it. Well, that's your rapid fire questions. We are going to jump back in with that one because one of my favorite dresses I made from a vintage, like late 1950s pattern and I made it in a gray oh. thing and I love the silhouette of like fit and flare. So what's this your, is the uh, point in the show that I just kind of <laughs> goodbye zone yeah. out. You guys talk dresses. You can, I'll catch you in the next segment. <laughs> well, you can ask about another one, but um, do you, do you do a lot of vintage shopping? I do a lot of vintage shopping. Um, you know, I recently lost a lot of weight because I had, you know, some surgery done. So I lost the weight to heal better. And then naturally I just kept it off. So I had to replace my entire wardrobe. Wow. And I found that, and I found that vintage clothing holds up. It's made well, it's beautiful. You know, it's colorful. It's got these great fabrics. It's a nice heavy weight and they just look good. So I would have to say half of my brand new clothes are vintage. Um, and there are two eras that I identify with. And, Danielle, you're going to love this. I'm ready. I identify, I identify with the 40s and the 60s. Love and the, it. Into the early 70s. Um, I kind of skipped by the 50s because I was that whole small, you know, Jane Mansfield, small waist, mm -hmm. big giant hip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't care for that. I prefer the 1940s, like the Billie Holiday, you know, the Ella Fitzgerald or the 1960s of like the Mod Squad. And you're going so with like, like polyesters and fun colors. Right. Yeah. Yes, polyesters, fun colors, wool mixed in. Love it. So that's so that's what I like to do. So love it. Okay. Okay. I'm on All it. All right. Great. Vicky, um, <laughs> <laughs> your your first job in Youngstown, Ohio. Yes. T tell us about yes, it. I worked, what, what was your title? Yeah. Did you have a job title? No, it was just concession stand worker, so we didn't have fancy titles. But basically, I helped make pizza and um, Italian sausage and peppers at an amusement park. We had this tiny little amusement park in Youngstown, Ohio. You know, it had like three or four roller coasters, a couple tilt twirls, you know, that mm -hmm. type of thing. And, um, you know, I, I was 15 when I had my first job. But they taught me how to make homemade pizza and peppers and sausage. And then by the end of the summer, I um, kind of got promoted into working the cash register too. Ah. Dang girl. Could you could you throw the dough up like you know when you're you're making the dough? Could you do like that throw and catch thing? <laughs> no, I couldn't do the throw or catch thing, but I was pretty good at putting it into and taking it out of the pizza oven. Mm. 
I had that skill. I had that skill mastered. Didn't burn your summer. fingers doing yeah. that. Did not burn my fingers at all. Yeah. Yes. And um, so yes, it. What happened in Sedona? Well, you know what? It just, it just showed the, 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 the vastness, the beauty of of God's creation. There was first of all, there's some fantastic hiking in Sedona. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the red rocks are amazing. It doesn't matter what level you are. You can just, you know, walk along a, a creek with water running through it, and you'll have a God experience. It is amazing. And then the nighttime is so dark, and the only lights you can see are up in the sky. And it's like if it weren't for the stars, if it weren't for that light, you couldn't see anything. And it's like, you know, you know, you could just feel God's presence all around. So it really brought me to it really brought, brought me to the fact that, yes, I believe in an awesome God. I have an awesome faith and I'm an awesome child of God. Mm-hmm. Amen. So. Amen. That's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you mentioned at the beginning, and Father Steve mentioned that you work with uh, in the Black Catholic Ministry Office. Can you tell us a little right. bit about your experience? Uh, what brought you there, and what God's been doing? Um, that's a that's a great question. That's a big question. But um, what brought me there is one of my mentors, um, Father Don Archambault. You know, I've worked with him for many years at Corpus Christi Parish, and I have a I've done a lot of different things. I've done vicariate work. I've done I was a young adult minister for ten years. I did um, vicariate or regional level work, and he felt that I might be a good fit for this particular ministry. So he encouraged me to apply, and I've served on Black Catholic ministries before, both at the local and regional level. So I applied, and um, I interviewed with the team, and it looks like it was a good fit, so I accepted the position. I believe that the church has a great opportunity to bring people of all cultures, you know, black culture, Hispanic culture, Native American and other cultures into full life in the church. And for us to understand each other and to um, come together as brothers and sisters in mission and evangelize not only to our own family members within our own cultures, but outside of other cultures. And that's what really attracted me to this position. The fact that I would be helping others know the beauty of God's creation and how they express themselves to each other. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience um, as a black Catholic? Was was your Catholic faith something that you grew up with? Was that something that you found later in life? What was that like? No, my Catholic, no, I'm a cradle Catholic. Um, I was born, uh, you know, Catholic, Youngstown, Ohio, the whole bit. My father is a port, is from Puerto Rico, so he was the Catholic in our family. And then my mother's from Alabama, and she was the Baptist. But as part of their getting married, they promised to raise me Catholic, so they did. So I kind of stayed with that whole, um, that whole trail of, you know, authentically black and authentically Catholic that mm-hmm. we heard in some of the bishop documents from, I believe it was from the 70s or 80s. Don't quote me on the years. We'll have to look those up. But, um, you know, how do we, how do we gift the church with our, with our cultural, um, with our cultural reality of call and response and still remain, you know, Eucharistic within the parameters of, of the liturgy. So, you know, that, that type, that type of experience and it's actually been rich and wonderful. Um, it really, the two cultures, you know, between the black culture and Catholic culture really do merge because the Catholic, the black culture is all about mercy and love and inclusion. And so, and so is Catholicity, as I like to call it. Vicki, were you, uh, was your faith important to you growing up? Was that kind of a big part of your household or your own kind of development into adulthood? 
Yeah, it, you know what? The faith, when I was growing up, it was all about faith precepts. You know, my father had images of the Sacred Heart of Jesus all around the house. He had Bibles all around the house in both English and Spanish. Aww. He had crucifixes all around the house. It was great. So he was a very devotional, very material Catholic, and that's the way my, my Catholic faith was growing up. And then as I moved into my young adult years, as we all do, we kind of fall away from the church, or many people do. Maybe you guys didn't, but I did. And then I came back to the church, you know, um, early 30s, and then I adopted more of a faith that was less dependent on material goods and more dependent on how I was as a person. You know, was I merciful? Was I, was I forgiving? Did I go to reconciliation, you know, to have my sins forgiven? You know, did I um, believe in, you know, uh, true presence in the Eucharist? Mm -hmm. You know, how did I feel about supporting the church? That type of thing. So early on, it was very material because it was the faith of my parents. Later on, it became very um, less material because it was my own faith. Yeah. How do you feel like God has been working in your life recently? Is there anything that you've been praying for or working towards? Well, I've been, I've, I've been praying, you know, as I move into, you know, a, a different age, <laughs> middle age, um, you know, I've, I've been praying that, you know, God, tell me what type of woman you want me to be. You know, yeah. when you're a young adult, you're on fire. Your, your, your faith is very active. It's very sensual. You know, you're using your hands and your feet. When you, when you get to be a certain age, it's less that activity, and it's more what am I doing to bring the next generation along? How am I, how am I mission to other people so they can see Christ in me and want to follow me? And I think that God is trying to tell me to be the type of woman that people will want to follow or at least take notice of because of, you know, that I'm forgiving, that I'm giving, that I give mercy, you know, and that I'm faithful to, to being Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, we, we talked to you a little bit ahead of time about what, um, what makes you proud to be Catholic. And you talked yeah. about that uh, story in Matthew chapter 25 about the judgment of the nations and how incarnational our faith is and how important that is to mm-hmm. you, right? Yeah, definitely. It is important to me. I love that Catholics consider the entire, I don't know how to say this without sounding too weird and, and off-center, but <laughs> the entire person and their entire experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, you know, from birth to natural death. That's a lot to be a steward of. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot of human being to be a steward of, but Catholics are willing to take it on because we see the person as a person from the time they are brought into being in, you know, in, inside of mom all the way to the time they go home to the Lord. And we take care of them, those, you know, 80, 90 years or 100 years in between. And that's important. And then, you know, Catholics look at, well, you know, while they're living this 80, 90, 100 years, how are they being treated? How are they treating others? How are they treating their surroundings? Um, and I feel that Catholics really do it better. Um, you know, I've morphed and jumped from religion to religion and, you know, evangelical and different things. And I always come, and what always brought me back to the Catholic Church throughout my 20s into my early 30s was that the Catholics took care of the entire person, the entire family, the entire community, regardless of whether or not they were Catholic. And that's the person I want to be. Yeah, I've been reading Gaudium et Spes, the Vatican document oh, yeah. on uh, the church in the modern world a little bit. 
these days and just thinking about like quarantine life and a lot what you're talking yes. about there, Vicky, right? Like just knowing mm-hmm. some people think, um, you know, he, hearing different voices these days about, yes, are we, uh, are we being too cautious, not being at church? Even some people saying, well, if we believed in the power of the sacraments, how could people get sick going to church? Right? Like why would, how would God allow that? And just very much what you're saying about the, reality and the whole person approach that uh, the Archbishop wrote, you know, um, faith works with science and this very Catholic perspective, Catholic understanding of, you know, our, our faith is not detached from the material things. When God came to take on flesh in Jesus, like he worked through the material things of this earth to reveal himself and and how our faith is very much tied into the way um the, the material world works as well. They're not in competition with each other. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Danielle, anything anything else uh, for Vicki on uh, testimony piece here? Um, I have one more question. Are you, I'd love to just hear um, in your perspective and how you grew up, is there a particular way that you um, like to relate to Jesus? Uh, would that be a cultural thing or something that's just hit you in a, in a powerful way? Um, it's it's a culture. It it partially is a cultural thing, but it hit me in a in a personal way. I like to see Jesus as my um, wise older brother, mm. Mm. <laughs> and that someone I can sit down and you know I've got a problem, Jesus. How do I handle this? Here, Jesus, take the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are those are cultural type things. But then just being able to sit with Jesus in silence and know that I'm in His presence and protect it. I think that's just something that I grew up to adopt with. Sometimes I will just sit silent knowing that Jesus is right there next to me and I can just bask in his presence. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank Danielle, you so how much. Do you, how do you do that? How do you relate to Jesus? Um, you know, what's? I think I like to, I love, um, a few Sundays back we had the good shepherd narrative and that one's for sure one of my favorites Uh, just as like this like a companion who's the step ahead kind of you know like Mm -hmm. like he's he's also in this so that's mine what about you it's a little too personal i'd rather wow no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) um so i like in this easter season i think a lot about the risen jesus and Mm. he's a little weird Right. Like and I mean that in the best way, but like he's disappearing and he's telling people not to touch him and he is walking through walls and like he's unrecognizable in some way. So I just think like in my own prayer and experience, sometimes that's a Jesus I relate to a lot where I don't quite understand everything. There's something awesome about what he's doing, but I don't get it all immediately. And it Mm. requires this kind of faith to say, okay, Lord, I, I really believe you're here. I don't quite understand everything you're doing, but I trust you. I believe you because you have conquered death, because you have, quote unquote, earned the right to be trustworthy by rising from the dead. So like, I, I'm really praying a lot with the risen Jesus these days. I have a poem that I'm going to send to you. It's by this poet. He lives in Colorado and his name is John Blaze. And he's not Catholic, but he is so cool. And he's definitely a Christian. Definitely, because he writes a lot about like God and Jesus, and he has this really cool poem that I'll send to you about, um, about Jesus in heaven after he's resurrected, but he's still 
carries with him the wounds, right? And so the poem is about how now he has something that isn't of heaven and he carries it with him. And now he's strung between two worlds, like eternity in this world that he went to die for. And I'm just like, oh, that's such a cool thing. So good. Okay, More art. cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Vicki. Sure. <laughs> So, Vicki, you've been involved in the church in Detroit for a while now, and I know it's kind of like yes. in, even professionally right now. Um, right. So, like, Unleash the Gospel came out in 2017 in the Synod and all all that. Like, what, what in the document in Unleash the Gospel was most inspiring or most kind of hit you personally? Um, I, I thought there was one part, but actually there are two parts that really hit me professionally. And personally, I should say personally first. Um, one of them was the good habits. And then the second one was equipping, um, you know, lay ministry for the gospel. Um, and then I'll go back to the, um, to the first one about the good habits first. Uh, you know, it's the whole thing about confidence in God. You know, sometimes we worry so much that we have to take all these burdens on our shoulders. And it's like, you know what, let go and let God, he's got this. <laughs> you know, he, he gave us the the tools he gave us the minds he gave us the wills to work it out but remember he's there giving you that giving you the holy spirit giving you the presence of his son giving you the triune god experience to help you power through so that's what really struck me about that one yeah sometimes he does that by like taking away all the stuff we rely on yeah. <laughs> you know like i don't know <laughs> uh, say a global pandemic um where where you're like okay i used to rely on my strength in this area or that area i mean you had talked about illness previously kind of going through some of that for some people it can be illness i know for lots of people now it's you know taking away all the. i think danielle we were talking about this earlier taking away like all the things that, like, I don't know, I'll just say, like, I define my life by, that I get meaning from, and a lot of that's taken away now, and, and now there's, like, a whole lot more of, okay, Lord, I have to turn to you rather than looking for my meaning in a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's true. It's yes. been a lot of fun. And <laughs> it has been. And then, and then under good habits, too, it talks about innovation and boldness. Well, you know, the Catholic Church, to some people, can appear stuffy and behind the times. No, Yet you no, have... <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. Yet you have a church that wants us to go out there and be innovative and to take risks and to be bold about proclaiming, you know, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's like, that's kind of a mind shift for a lot of us to move mm -hmm. from that, you know, that maintenance, that comfort zone into the zone of, you know what, I actually have to look someone in the eye and tell them Jesus loves them. That's a different thing for many Catholics, and I'm glad that we've been tasked with doing that. So the, that's really important to me. Yeah, and a uh, little bit earlier we were talking, and you said that you have a lot of passion about youth and young adults, especially urban youth and young adults. Can yeah. you talk to us a little bit more about that, where you see challenges, where you see opportunities? Yes, um, I definitely will do that. Urban youth are facing so many different, you know, challenges um, and opportunities at the same time. The challenges come, sometimes they don't come from, you know, sometimes they come from poor households, maybe single, maybe single parent households. No, actually, definitely single parent households. 70% of 
some of our urban youth are raised in single parent households and that makes it difficult or, or households and that makes it difficult for them to get the attention, maybe to get the you know financial and material resources to thrive as persons. And then sometimes there are lack of role models around, you know, not because there are a lot of bad people around, but because you've got people working two and three jobs just to keep a roof over their heads. So as a result, the kids are left to fend for themselves. You know, and since our education system is tax-based, you have a lot of urban youth who are going to schools that are not well-funded, that are poorly funded. Maybe they don't have Internet service at home. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like my heart is breaking during this um, uh, pandemic. Thank goodness Comcast has stepped up and or one of the Internet providers has stepped up to give free services to kids so they can get their school lessons. But, um, you know, our urban youth, and that can be discouraging to a child, you know, when they take a look at other kids in the suburbs or, you know, at some of the wealthier city schools or, you know, on TV, and they've got these great lives, and here they are struggling, you know, day to day. Yet, yet the urban youth are incredibly hopeful as well. You know, I mean, they will go out of their way. If they happen to get a notebook, they will go out of their way to go across the street, tear that notebook in half and give their neighbor half of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, whereas a suburban child may be able to keep the entire notebook and, and use it. You know, they will they will share their last dime, their last meal with someone else. So not only are they ripe for mission, but they're also ripe to be missionaries because they know what it's like to suffer and they know what it means just to give somebody a little bit of something. I love that. That was very well put. What would you like to see more of in the church? How can we um, empower those young people? Well, I'd like to see us, you know, reach out to the young people and ask them what they would like us, they would like to see in us. One of the things I know they definitely want to see in us is just more authenticity, you know, more reaching out to them, more just kind of hanging out and, and creating a safe zone for them to come and talk, to come and, you know, maybe play basketball or play games or play chess or checkers. Um, you know, give them some affirmation, give them some advice and wisdom um, so they know there is hope that they can, you know, leave some of these urban areas, get training, come back and help the next generation of people. So I would say give them hope and give them safety. Um, you don't have to give them a lot of material things, but I think hope, safety, love, compassion are things that our youth are looking for more than anything else. You know, you, you you mentioned, yeah, I just wanted to say you mentioned the um, the the need to listen, and I was just thinking yes. of the Holy Father releasing the document on uh, young people just last year um, about, um, you know, how we engage in ministry for young people, and he, he puts a huge emphasis at the beginning about listening, right, trying to uh, if we're going to accompany people to help them find Jesus, it has to start with listening to them, letting them know kind of the, the cheesy axiom, people don't care how much you know until you, they know how much you care. And so I think that that's where the it begins by listening so we can say, you know, I want to bring the gospel to where you are in your life, want to see the way God is already working in your life, and uh, and not just think it's this kind of cookie-cutter approach that doesn't take into account the unique circumstances of someone's life. That's true. And I think to reach young people, no, I was going to say to reach young people, you don't have to be necessarily a young person yourself. I've seen people in their 60s and 70s reach a 15-year-old, whereas somebody 25 or 30 could not. I think what young people are looking for more than anything 
is authenticity. An authentic mentor. Can we I, uh, uh, can I, we keep uh, blocking Danielle out of this conversation, <laughs> Vicky? Maybe we can just keep it. So, I, 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 I really like hearing what you guys are saying, and I like am but... not trying to like break in, but I can't see you, so it's like I, I keep accidentally saying things, and I'm being like, wait, I'm sorry. Um, no, go for it. I was, was going to say I have a friend in uh, Chicago, Father Connor, um, and I listen to his podcast, uh, Three Dogs North. Shout out. Um, and one thing that he said once, I'm going to paraphrase, but it was kind of like a large part of ministry is just showing up. And so this idea that like, um, like, Hey, I'm here. So I guess a a question that I have for you, um, is how, how do we show up for our urban youth? Uh, I mean, like I'm in a different situation because I attend St. Augustine Monica. Right. But like what? How do we build bridges and how do we let people know, like, we care about you, you're valuable to our church, and we want, like, what you have for the goodness of the church as well. How can we do that better? Well, one way we can do is kind of, like, maybe step one, and I'm just thinking out loud as, as we talk about this. Step one is kind of go to the social media channels where they are. So they tend to be on Instagram um, or, you know, something like that. Maybe just begin to seed them with some, you know, we care about you, um, you know, check in, you know, let us know you're doing okay. Post a picture of yourself or something like that. And then step two would be we could kind of go to the um, to those mentors in our parishes, in our urban parishes, because we have so many of them already, and just say, do you happen to know any urban youth who could use um, a reach out or a helping hand? And kind of use that, not use that person, but kind of work with that person as a mentor, kind of as an outreach specialist to start reaching out to youth. Because once you reach out to one youth in need and they are served, the word begins to spread. <laughs> so it's just take it's that's it you know I mean you know they all you know you always want to know where you know you always want to know where the good you know food truck is yeah so as soon as as soon as that person in the pew really begins to love and show mercy and show understanding and you know like hey I got your back and then other people are alerted I think that's how we could do it so that's step one step two social media and then um, working with some of our people in the pews. And the third thing would be, if we're allowed to do this, um, we don't have a lot of Catholic schools like we used to in, in the urban settings anymore. Sure. But if we could work through the Catholic schools that we do have, um, and then maybe some of those Catholic school students have public school friends that they could work through as well. Maybe we could kind of um, you know, build coalition or build bridges that way. So we do it through uh, social media, through our churches, and through, through our schools initially. And then by that time, hopefully we'll have a large enough network where it could, where it could build and spread. What, what have you found to be helpful in your own ministry in these days when, uh, you know, we can't gather like we, we used to. I know, Vicki, you and I have talked about, particularly in the African-American community, how important hmm. personal contact is, right? That it's not, right. That people are not usually satisfied with like, hey, let's do a Zoom meeting or I'll talk to you on the phone, how important... <laughs> The person to person and and just the physical touch, the hug, all those things Mm, are important. Like, what have you found to be good ways for people to uh, to be engaged in kind of sharing the gospel with each other or just receiving the normal needs, you know, human needs we need uh, these days? 
Actually, um, this and this uh, this took me by surprise, and I was happy with it as well. You know, I had this three-year plan laid out for Black Catholic ministry. You know, year one, put together events. Year two, put together an advisory board. Year three, put together a social media communications plan. Well, COVID-19 blew that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the social media plan had to come to the front of the line. And believe it or not, um, our community will tell you social media is a great way to reach out to people in this pandemic time. They've responded very well to social media. And then not only that, but there are people who are on social media and those who are not. So those who are on social media are kind of like the captains. And then they'll take that information back through phone call, through, you know, um, maybe personal visit, you know, at a social distance to tell those people who are not on social media what happened on social media. So it's so, like so it's a, it's a way to get information out as well, right? Yeah, yeah, it is a way to get information out. And we've just been putting together some, you know, one-off um, social media events that, you know, you think you look at the numbers while the event, the live Facebook or the Zoom meeting is happening and you see numbers like 15 or 20 or 25 and you don't think that many people attended or showed up. And then all of a sudden I'm getting emails from four or five people. I'm like, when were you on this event? Right. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> How did you hear that? I didn't know you were on it. Oh yeah, so and so told me about it, and yet, and I agree with you. And I'm like, okay, so there, so there are some hidden networks in there working in our favor. Um, so social media has done a great job of anchoring the African American Catholic community, but but don't get it twisted. We still want in person contact. <laughs> yeah, Father, you've been doing a lot of social media stuff too, haven't you? During the quarantine. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying. I, I've done a few things. I've, I've taken a little break these days, but certainly through Lent and Holy Week and Easter Week, just uh, I find that, you know, one of the blessings of it has been um, people that I don't, that I know don't go to church uh, are engaging in, in some ways. Yeah. Now, sometimes a little more passively, like I see them pop in to watch something for a minute, but other times asking questions or commenting on things. And I just think like, you know, maybe God in his providence is allowing these days so that uh, people who normally would not come to church to hear this will uh, will find it in other ways. So. Yeah. It's in, I mean, like, who knows what like the church of the other side of quarantine looks like, right? How will this change us and help us to grow? Fascinating. Well, um, Vicki, you know, usually when we are coming to a close, we ask if you would, if you have anything, any closing words of wisdom or a prayer that you'd like to share with our listeners, um, we would ask, uh, now is the time. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Um, Nothing in particular in in closing or in prayer, but I do want to, you know, um, ask, uh, you know, Father Steve and you, Danielle, just when you're putting together, you know, materials and uh, podcasts and things, remember diversity and inclusion, you know, try to include people of all cultures, um, try to include images of all cultures so that all people feel included. You know, sometimes people out on the margin, you know, may not feel like they're part of the church, even Mm -hmm. though they're a big part of the church. So if they see themselves in print, if they hear themselves online, on podcast, on live events, they're more likely to pay attention and to pass that information along than if it's strictly images of the dominant culture. Yeah. I Amen. thank you so much for that. We agree with you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thanks, Vicki. All right. So grateful that Vicki joined us digitally in our Open Door Policy studio to share the ways that she is unleashing the gospel, especially with the youth in the city of Detroit. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. It's colorful. It's made well. It's beautiful. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy.